in the immortal there it is the laser beams in the immortal words of judy brown happiness is a choice and we're happy you're spending some time with us us chip and zay from one to three right here on texas sports unfiltered and zay we got a lot to talk about my man a lot to yeah, talk man. about I don't Great know. sports night last night. Huh? Good sports night last night. Yeah, good sports night last night. Uh, I went down to the mood, checked out Dem Horns. And if you weren't in your seat right at the beginning, you might have missed the 21 0 run. <laughs> we will get to that. And my thoughts on Caden Shedrick and the gang but um zay we gotta we gotta start off with a little texas football and here's my here's my thinking about these tcu horn frogs after talking to brian estrich yesterday and if you missed that interview brian estrich the voice of the tcu horn frogs does a nice job uh tends to keep it real doesn't sugarcoat it I did not get the sense that this this TCU team has it together at this particular moment. They are coming off a beating at the hands of the Texas Tech Red Raiders out in Lubbockx. And I don't know if TCU can pull it together, like galvanize, put it all together for the horns. This weekend, I should expect it because TCU is eight and three against Texas since joining the Big 12. But I don't know what is going on. Because Brian Estridge said they just need success. You remember when he said that? Yep. Well, how are they going to get success going up against this defense? Because here's my thing. They have good receivers, like on paper, John Paul Richardson and uh, Savion Williams and Jalen Robinson. But Josh Hoover has been up and down, to say the least. Now, he can run a little bit, so he'll he can cause you some grief. He may drop back for a pass. But he has seven touchdowns and seven interceptions. That's not good. He looked great against BYU, but as Brian Estridge said, everybody looks great against BYU. I love Amani Bailey. They're running back. He's at 908 yards rushing, 5.5 a carry, four touchdowns. He can catch the ball he's got 19 catches for 141 yards he's he's what you want he's the real deal um but you gotta you gotta rock this team early you gotta keep that doubt fresh in their minds and so after looking at tcu kind of really digging into them this is going to be about as important a first quarter for texas as they've had with the big 12 championship on the line. Cause it is 
this is a game where Sark, whether it's Malik Murphy or Quinn Ewers, they got to get off to a good start. And for once, they got to keep punching, man. They got to punch until the ref is waving his hand over TCU. Over and out. You think this Texas team is capable of that night game on the road where they've against a team they've gone three and eight against? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in them, but this team likes to be dramatic. I mean, you go all the way back to Wyoming. They were, that's the quote of the day right now. (laughs) This team likes to be dramatic. They do, man. They had Wyoming tied with them going into the fourth quarter before they put on 21 straight points. Like, that, that was when this team was a fourth quarter team. Fourth quarter team, exactly. Remember that? Yeah, definitely remember that. Then they go up, although 21 nothing against Houston. We saw what they did this past weekend against Kansas State, being up 27 to 7. And then just, I don't know what happens. It's like the adjustments that the other team makes. Sark isn't ready for it, or Sark's getting greedy with his play calling because he wants to keep it interesting and wants to, you know, show all the recruits and transfers in the nation that are thinking about coming to Texas. Hey, look how much fun we're having. Look how exciting we look. Look at all these trickery things that I like to do. Look how open that we could be instead of just doing what's right. And a lot of that is just running the football at times. So it's in them. You see it and you like that they're winning games regardless, but yeah, I think that just Fort Worth with the record that you just said, Chip, it's a very tricky place, and it doesn't matter what team you're playing, if it's one of those Gary Patterson teams or now one of these Sonny Dykes teams, even though they have the record where it is and don't look like the team that was in the national championship in 2022, then, like, you could get got. You could get got, and especially when you have Malik Murphy playing quarterback right now, which the last two weeks I think he's proven that he is due for a couple of bad throws or maybe a plethora of bad throws. Just Kansas State, they didn't come up with interceptions, which I know their secondary team and uh, Klanderman, they're trying to talk, probably talking about, hey, can we catch the ball this week? Whoever we're playing, if they're going to give us those opportunities that Malik Murphy was throwing out there, those ducks and such, you got to capitalize lies on them and thank goodness for texas sake the wildcats did not if who if this team from fort worth tcu does which again they have guys that can do so i mean they got the secondary players and a lot of guys that were on that national championship team like yeah you don't want this crowd to stay in it obviously it's going to be a sold out game it's a prime time game so hey night game up in fort worth that could also be a little dangerous but yeah at the end of the day This team's been doing a good job helping Malik Murphy out, especially the defense causing turnovers and getting the ball back in short field situations. And if they could continue to do that, which I feel like they should be able to, I have confidence in them making life hell for Josh Hoover, then, you know, they should be able to come home with a win. But yeah, I'm with you, Chip. If these guys don't take care of the first quarter and put their foot on these guys' throats and give them a game to where TCU has confidence, then it could get a little spicy. And that's the last thing the Texas Longhorns want right now, trying to fight for a college football playoff contention. Yeah. What happened to this team being a fourth quarter team? They've gone from being a slow starting team that guns it in the fourth quarter 
to a team that like last year gets off to a good start and then lets big leads slip away to the point where you're in a nail biter against Houston, against K-State. They got to get this thing back on track because it's all or nothing. Like players were asked yesterday, can you feel it? Can you smell it? Can you, do you realize how close you are? How, and you know, Jake Major said, yeah, yeah, we're hungry. We're hungry. We got to take care of each week and we'll get where we want to go. But it's like, you know, I get the turnovers against Kansas State. The defense had a rough day at Houston. They didn't get any help on the holding calls or lack of holding calls. Um, but this is a situation where, look, you you have to basically plan on the officiating not being there. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. You got to leave no doubt. You got to, you got to, you can't leave it anywhere close to being in the officials hands. You got to get after it and drop some hammers. And look, the last time Texas played a night game on the road was Alabama. They were, they were in sync. They were, they were dialed in. Defense played great early. The Jade Barron interception. My man Xavier Worthy dropped a touchdown pass. So did Jordan Whittington. But they were able to punish that mistake, and they kind of kept it going all throughout the game, kept answering when Alabama took that 16-13 lead um, in the third quarter. Remember when Texas was able to run out the clock with 7:14 left at Alabama? Toughness, man. And they couldn't run out a minute 45 at home against K-State? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you don't like that, but They had three timeouts, I get it, but you get one first down and there's nothing left. And I think that's just freshness. You know, that Alabama game, this team was still fresh. You don't have as many bumps and bruises because that's the second game of the season. Now you're at, what, week 10 in the college football season, and Christian Jones is out. Kelvin Banks leaves for a second. Sark's moving guys around. Cam Williams, he kind of looks like a guy with a you know deer in the headlights at times. So a lot's different from the Alabama game to now with that offensive line. But, yeah, I think just the fact that this team's a little banged up, especially on the offensive line, that – you're seeing some of these drives where you're like, man, the horns, they did such a good job of just wearing teams down. Now they're worn down. So they can't, you know, put that muscle to them like you want or expect. And hopefully getting Christian Jones back, or hopefully they do get Christian Jones back this week helps in that. And these guys could just get more and more healthy. You heard Sark talk about everybody practicing this week. That doesn't necessarily mean everybody's playing, but it's very, you know, an optimistic feeling knowing that everybody's practicing and yeah, yeah, I, I hope they could get back to that eventually, especially for Malik Murphy's sake. But, yeah, I think that's just due to this team being a little worn down at this part of the season. Okay. Okay. I mean, 
you've got all the tools to handle business against TCU, which is not um, is not a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. Even though that defense has all those starters back from last year, TCU's run defense, giving up 148 yards per game. Um, you know, their scoring defense is giving up. I mean, they're giving up 24.3 points per game. Um, you know, on offense, they're only, well, they're scoring 29 points per game. Texas is at 34.3, just about right on the number that they were on last year. I thought we would see it be a little better than that, but Texas has scored 30 points in nine straight games. You'll take that. They're not, you know, but this is also the game that we're going to find out if TCU had Texas's signals last year or not, because Sark changed up the signals and let's see, because there was, I mean, TCU sure seemed to know exactly what Texas was doing to the point where Bijan Robinson ran 22 times for 28 yards. When on earth has that ever happened, Zay? It should never happen. It should never happen. But, hey, they didn't get caught. So, I guess they're cool. I don't know. You think about what's going on with Michigan right now and all the success they're having and think about just that TCU game and not being able to put up any offensive points. If it wasn't for that John A. Barron touchdown, then they wouldn't have even got 10 on the board. It would have been the 17-3 game. And the fact that TCU really couldn't do nothing except for uh, Quentin Johnston, he had that deep route for a touchdown, and then Kendra Miller went crazy on a really big run. But besides that, they had a struggle moving that ball for the team that got runner-up in the national championship. So, yeah, I mean, that should piss you off. You know, I guess some of the guys, they deflected that question when they were asked about it yesterday. And, hey, that's cool, but that should piss you off. Because this is another team that's in your way that's trying to muck up your season. You see what happened to Oklahoma? They're done for. You know, when they beat Texas, they were riding high. Oh, man, we could get to college football playoff. We don't get back to the Big 12. Britt Venables is the guy. Now look where they at. You know, they lost two straight and their season is over. Alamo Bowl, that seems like where they're headed. So you don't want to get to that point. You know, you don't want to get to that point, especially with all these guys who won't be on the team possibly next season. Like you gotta, you can't play with your food anymore. Houston and this game against Kansas State, you were playing with your food a little bit too much. And some of that's on the coaching staff. We talked about Pete Kwiatkowski's play calling against Houston being very mediocre. And then Sark at times, his play calling also mediocre, just going for it on fourth down at wrong times. Again, the Burt Auburn fake field goal, just weird stuff like that. And, you know, everything just has to be in sync. Everything has to be in sync because it's not like these games are gimmies. You know, some people might think they are. I don't. Iowa State's getting hot at the right time. And then this TCU team, they still got dudes, man. Like, hey, don't sleep on Mark Perry, the safety. 
that dude's hard hitting and he's willing to hit. You know, you can't sleep on Josh Newton. We've talked about him, Hodges Tomlinson and those dudes. They were locking everybody down last year. They just can't figure out what's going on on that other side. We heard Brian yesterday talk about it a little bit. So they ain't got no scrubs over there. You know what I'm saying? This ain't the TLC song. They ain't got no scrubs over there at all. You got to respect them. And if you go in there with that respect and say, hey, it don't matter what y'all got. Y'all can't play with us. Malik Murphy take care of the ball, then you should be able to pull out a dub. Like at this point, Sark, you can't worry about style points, man. I get it. You want to run up the score. You want to make it look cute. You want to make it look just welcoming to all these five-star recruits and big-time transfers coming over from these blue blood schools and stuff. Well, okay, I get that. That's fine. But at the end of the day, you just got to win these games however you can. And this Kansas State game should have woke you up because you should have easily lost that. Chris Kleiman, kick the ball. Hey, kick the ball, dog. Kick the ball, go into a second overtime and see what happens. You got lucky that he got greedy too. A couple of greedy coaches on both of those sidelines this past Saturday at DKR. The one that was the greediest lost the game. So, hey, you got to find that balance of being greedy and also just saying, hey, we're going to take the points. I'm going to do what's best for our team. Let's trust our defense who's playing some really great football. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Yeah, Jason says Texas wins and covers the past 10 matchups. Don't affect this Saturday. Well, it's the last 11, but who's counting? Now, here's the other thing, Zay. Sonny Dykes <clears throat> is 3-0 and against Texas as a head coach. He was the head coach at Cal when... They won that crazy game where Gerard Hurd played his ass off and Nick Rose missed the extra point to force overtime. And and then he beat Texas out in Berkeley, and then he won last year's game. 3-0 and as a head coach against Texas. I don't think that has much to do with anything, but it just tells you that this team – is a team you've got to take seriously. And I just I just want to know. I went by Bird Bird Biscuit this morning to see if my man Malik Murphy was there. I was going to talk to was him. Was he there? Was he there? I didn't see him. I didn't see, him. I didn't see him at Bird Bird Biscuit. I like that. Um, I like that. Let's lock in. I was going to talk to him and just say, hey, dude, <laughs> the fan base you're making the fan base nervous. <laughs> you got all these tools in your toolbox. And you're throwing balls up for grabs, and it don't make no sense, especially when you're 6'6", 250. And guys are probably going to bounce off you like Ben Roethlisberger. So use your legs a little. Throw it away. 
Take a sack. Yo, I don't think he's thrown in the way once. In two games, I don't think he's thrown in the way once. Just throw it out of bounds. It's always just been throwing it up for grabs. And, yeah, um, it's, it's time to eat Popeyes this week, Malik. It's time to get grimy. You know what I'm saying? Popeyes, KFC, Bird Bird Biscuit. That's a little too, you know, high class right now. We got to dumb it down. Get to the roots. Get to the roots, man. Like, grab it with your hands. Eat that breast and thigh. Go crazy. But, you know, yeah. We, <laughs> well, I'm nervous, too. Every time he goes out there at this point, because you can't always throw the deep ball. You can't do that every play. You know, the intermediate stuff, you got to throw those on the money. The short stuff, you got to throw those on the money, man. Like, there's a lot. There's three levels to this. And if none of those three levels are there, take off. Throw it out of bounds. Throw it down. Like, take the sacks. Sometimes taking the sacks, okay. You hate it. It doesn't look good. It definitely doesn't look good for the old line, man. But that's a part of the game. And when your defense is just putting the chokehold on people, Thanks to Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Ethan Burke back looking healthy. Then you can take the sack. Don't give them, don't put them in that sudden change short field BS where they're having to, you know, scramble because the other team's already in the red zone because of some, are you kidding me, turnover. And look, everything is. You know, I said this, the, the patience for Malik Murphy is directly proportional to the anxiety that Longhorn Nation is feeling about being this close to winning a Big 12 championship. And we know, we know Texas fans don't forget. Because Michael Taft was asked by Kirk Bowles on Monday after Michael Taft made interceptions in three straight games, he asked, does Blake Gideon tell you that you catch the football better than he does? Jesus, Kurt. Wow. <laughs> Yo, Kurt, I know you've been doing this for six decades, but damn. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is rough. Like, Kurt's been – doing it so long he had the og typewriter back in the day that's damn kurt man tough crowd i mean texas fans they don't forget yeah and this is this is an opportunity i mean what three big 12 championships yeah hey here's fun fact you know your boy was this close to being named mookie collier really yes my mom loved, which this is tough because he's a former Sooner, Mookie, Mookie Blaylock. Blaylock. My mom loved Mookie Blaylock. She loved him. She, my mom always loved the tiny guy, which is why I was born, named after Isaiah Thomas. But she loved Mookie Blaylock and that 89 Sooners team that went to the championship game. And Mookie was locking up, and he could, you know, shoot that jumper a little bit. And he had a solid NBA career, too. He's one of the best oh, yeah. of the 90s at that point guard position. But, yeah, man, she was – and then CeCe was like, no, nah, I ain't calling my boy Mookie. That ain't a 
<laughs> I don't think that's a good look. So, yeah, it didn't work out. But, yeah, Mookie Taft, man, doing his thing. Westlake alum. Shout out to him. Mookie Taft. All right, before we get to uh, Chris Hummer, hey, I want you to get into the car that you really want to be driving. Apple Leasing is going to help you do it because some of you are driving around in a in a used car you can't stand. And if you're in Austin, Texas, you're going to be in traffic. You need to be in a car that you love. It's worth investing in yourself. Apple Leasing leases every make and model of car. And you pick it. You pick the interior, the exterior, all the fixings. You pick it. They're going to go get it for you. And it's the easy lease. So you get two, three years into the lease. You decide, hey, you know, I, I want to try this car. Well, guess what? That's no problem. You lease from a dealership. You're not going to be able to switch, make and model of car. Mid-lease. Everything's easy with Apple leasing. Go to the go to the website, appleleasing.com. Check out the selection of cars. You want to keep your payments in the $400 range or you want to get a Range Rover. They're going to get it for you. And you're not paying for the future trade-in value of the car. So you're getting into a better car than you thought you could afford. And it's under warranty. It's new. You're not paying for someone else's repairs and mess-ups. You're just cruising, baby. Like you're driving around in your living room. Appleleasing.com. Give them a call. 346-9977. Of course, that's area code 512. Tell them Chip Brown sent you. All right. Zay? So we haven't talked about Oklahoma and this loss against Oklahoma State. Are you feeling like Oklahoma State is going to be the team in the Big 12 title game at this point? Um, it feels right, you know. Um, again, shout out to... Mike Gundy and the job that he's done, you know, when he took that loss to South Alabama, you thought that this team was Dunsky. Like this team, it's not like they barely lost to South Alabama either. They got blown the hell out. So, yeah, to do what they did against Kansas State, to beat Kansas, then you move on and beat West Virginia, you beat the hell out of Cincinnati, then you win the Bedlam game. Yeah, I mean, their schedule, it's lining up for them to go to Jerry World. UCF, Houston, and BYU are left. Like, that's all seems like dubs to me. And, I mean, we know anything can happen in college football, but, yeah, I feel like Oklahoma State, it's theirs to lose at this point, which we know Texas, they've always had their struggles with them also. But, yeah. Seems like the Cowboys, they're on their one-way ticket there. They should be getting their hotel situation ready. Let's bring in our man, Chris Hummer, national college football analyst, writer extraordinaire for 24-7 Sports. Hummer, how are you doing? Doing great, y'all. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We look forward to this segment every week. So we were just talking about Oklahoma State. Um, they have won five in a row, Hummer, against Kansas State, Kansas, West Virginia, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma. Uh, some questionable, you know, calls there. Drake Stoops looked like he got interfered with, but you can't leave it in the hands of the refs. Uh, not Texas and Oklahoma, not this year. 
what are your thoughts on Mike Gundy and the Oklahoma State Cowboys? And are they on upset alert at Central Florida this week, Hummer? Because I said Central Florida was going to get somebody this year. I thought it might be K-State. But now Oak State's got to go down to Florida. Thoughts? Well, uh, first, like, there's no conspiracy theories in the Big 12 this year, are there? Like, not <laughs> all. you didn't mention holding, uh, like, at his press conference this week or anything, right? Uh, as for Oklahoma State, uh, I'm – I'm still a little blown away that this is happening. Like this is not as talented of an Oklahoma state roster who we've seen in previous years. And my, I mean, I guess we should all remember Mike Gundy's an excellent coach. Um, he wins seven plus games every year at Kent, Oklahoma state for a reason. Like he has worked magic with this roster. And I really think they've embraced their offensive identity, which is running the football, Ollie Gordon. They don't have the quarterback to run the system. They did with Spencer Sanders for so many years. So they pivoted another way. And it's really worked. So credit to that coaching staff for making the adjustments they need to in season because they were not playing this way early in the year. I think that South Alabama game, they were still trying to throw 30-plus times with a rotating quarterback room that included Mike Gundy's son, Alan Bowman in year 17 or whatever he's in, and Garrett Rangel. So they have done a really nice job adjusting um, and doing what works for them. They're playing really sound, solid football. So that I think that's what's working for Oklahoma State. As for upset alert, like until I see otherwise, I think Oklahoma State's on upset alert every week. Like this is a team that I think still lacks the talent to really win convincingly every week. Um, They have to play really, really well. I think if you're looking to poke a hole in that idea, it's that UCF has one of the worst run defenses in college football, like literally one of the worst. I think they're the worst run defense in the power five. And when Ollie Gordon's trying to mount his Heisman campaign, that's not really a good combination uh, for the Knights. Um, so I don't, I don't know if they're going to lose this weekend, but I don't think Oklahoma State, despite a really soft schedule, it's UCF, Houston, BYU, the rest away, is necessarily 100% locked to make the Big 12 championship game. They're going to have to still play really well to get to Arlington. Yeah, Ollie Gordon's stats, they're like comparing them to Barry Sanders' stats back when he was a Cowboy Hummer. It's absolutely nuts what Gundy is doing right now and the turnaround that he's had. But the other team in Oklahoma, the Sooners, how bad does that screw Texas over with their two back-to-back losses against Kansas and Oklahoma State? Pretty bad. (laughs) Pretty bad. Like, not only did they lose twice, but they lost to two teams that are – somewhat in the uh, Big 12 championship race. So they lost those tiebreakers. Um, It's obviously a huge help for Oklahoma that they have the head-to-head tiebreaker versus Texas, but Texas has to lose again for that to matter. And Texas' schedule sets up pretty well down the stretch. And Oklahoma, frankly, just isn't playing that well right now. Um, I think it's really – they've really lost to Steph the last couple weeks once Andrew Anthony went out at wide receiver for them in the Texas game. He was the vertical field stretcher for them. He was so important in Jeff Levy's offense. Uh, Dylan Gabriel likes to push the ball deep. They just haven't looked the same on that side of the ball. And that Oklahoma defense that we spent so much time talking about being better early in the season, I think is averaging, is giving up an average of 30 plus points per game since Big 12 play started. Um, So that unit hasn't been really what we all thought it might turn into over time. So Oklahoma just isn't playing very good football right now. And they could easily lose to West Virginia this weekend with the way. Ooh, ooh, man! I'm talking about. 
All right. So what uh, did Texas just did? OU just put it together for like one shining moment. Um, did the Sooners just put it together, you know, on one grandiose day? Is well, that, we, they got got Texas got got. I mean, we all know Red River can just produce some crazy things and like, yeah, maybe I think Oklahoma's still going to win nine games probably the rest of the way. Like this is a good Oklahoma team, but Texas lost the turnover battle three, nothing that day. Uh, Oklahoma made the most of the majority of those. Um, Dylan Gabriel played probably the game of his life that afternoon. Like a lot of things went right for Texas to, went wrong, I suppose, for Texas to lose that game. I think Oklahoma played about as well as it possibly could, which is why I believe we've talked before. I've said that I think Texas would win seven out of 10, essentially, if they played Oklahoma 10 times. And I think that was just one of those few examples if those teams played a lot of everything breaking Oklahoma's way. Not that you should take a lot away from the Sooners because they played amazing football that afternoon. I just think if those two teams played again and again, Texas would win the majority of them. Hummer, what'd you know this in Texas, barely squeaking by Kansas State, taking in the overtime, and Malik Murphy looking pretty inconsistent, but you got to expect that from a guy in the second start. Yeah, noticed noticed a lot. I was I was there sitting next to Chip all, all afternoon on Saturday and uh, <laughs> just enjoying the football game, and what a mess of a football game that was. Um Honestly, really only something Texas can produce that second half um, was a special thing. Um, I noticed Malik Murphy still making some pretty problematic reads and decisions. Um, I think Texas could really use Quinn Ewers back as quickly as possible. Um, I think he'll fight to do it this week, but I think it might be an uphill battle in that regard um, against TCU. Um, I noticed that Texas probably has the best interior defensive line combo in the country right now because Kansas State could do absolutely nothing inside. Um, they were having to run side to side against Texas, which is not a recipe for success because of how quickly uh, Texas's linebackers can flow over the top. And they had to do that because they couldn't do anything inside. So that is a really positive sign for Texas. But at the same time, like Texas just really is struggling right now in the secondary. Uh, Ryan Watts, when he's healthy, makes a huge difference. But Ryan Watts was a little banged up there at the end of the game on Saturday. Um, and Texas just isn't really stopping a lot of people in the past game right now. Um, so that could be something that really could trip up Texas down the line. But I think more than anything, like this is a game Texas would have lost three years ago. There's literally no doubt in my mind Texas loses this game. Texas probably loses this game last year if it happens, and they found a way to win. So I think once again, we've seen in the third and fourth quarters, Texas is making progress uh, when games don't necessarily go their way. Yeah. Um, Hummer. Josh Hoover has thrown an interception in every game he's played. He has seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. Um, what, you know, I see TCU with all their, what, eight starters back from last year's defense. And we were talking to Brian Estridge yesterday, the voice of TCU football, and he said they just need some success to build on. Um, what, what's your assessment of these Horn Frogs? I think it's a team where a lot went wrong immediately and they haven't been able to study the ship. I think that Colorado loss they have really, I think need to find some success is a good way to put it. Cause I think it really knocked them off the track. 
Um, I think the bones of a really good football team are still there at TCU. You see it in flashes. But with Chandler Morris getting injured, that was just such a huge blow. TCU knew coming into the season that it had quarterback depth issues. They lost um, Chance Nolan, who they took from Oregon State to essentially be their second or third string quarterback from a depth perspective. They lost him week one of fall camp. He literally just quit playing football because he found out he was third in the depth chart. Um, so that's why they're relying so heavily on Josh Hoover right now. And as talented as they are at some spots, um, they still have a really good wide receiver group, good running backs, decent offensive line on paper, talented defense. Like they just keep making a lot of mistakes. This TCU team didn't make last year. And the quarterback position is a big reason because of that. As you said, Josh Hoover's thrown a pick in every game he's played so far, and he's just not as ingrained or as experienced as you'd like a quarterback to be. And that Bryles like veer and shoot system. And you're seeing the results of that on Saturdays. Homer, what'd you think of Alabama beating LSU? Hell of a game by Jalen Milrow, 155 yards on the ground and four rushing touchdowns. And it seems like Tommy Reese has really figured out what Jalen Milrow likes to do and how it could be utilized in that offense. Then that Texas win is looking better and better for the Horn CFP standpoint. What'd you think about that Crimson Tide dub? Yeah, game of Jalen Milrow's career. Obviously, it comes with a slight caveat because he's playing LSU's defense, and LSU's defense is a dumpster fire right now. But Jalen Milrow is playing. The Jalen Milrow we saw Saturday looks nothing like the Jalen Milrow we saw play Texas um, in week two. Like They are completely different passers. I think Jalen's confidence is up. I think the way they're scheming around him, as you said, Zay, is making a huge difference. Tommy Reese is allowing Jalen Milrow to do what he does well. And by allowing him to run the ball more frequently and allowing him to take shots deep, it's kind of working the opposite way of what you usually see as a quarterback. Usually as a quarterback, you throw the short and intermediate routes, and at times it can open up things over the top. Right now it's opening up things for Jalen Milrow on the short and intermediate routes, and I think he's gaining confidence on those throws as well. Um, so if Jalen Milrow is healthy and if Jalen Milrow is playing well, like Alabama has all the other requisite pieces to make a run. And I think they're going to walk into uh, Atlanta at 11 and one. And if they beat Georgia, it could create some really interesting conversations with the college football playoff, given everything else that's happening across the country. Yeah. I thought Georgia would handle Mizzou uh, big and they didn't. So what are we to learn of Mizzou? Like Eli Drinkwitz, I thought the guy was a clown on his way out, but Luther, Luther Burden's that good? He's pretty good. I mean, like, it's funny. Like, you see Theo Weiss play as well as he did for Missouri on Saturday against Georgia, and Oklahoma could sure use Theo Weiss right now, a former five-star Sooner signee who transferred out this offseason. And Eli Drinkovitz definitely was in the hot seat going into this year. Um, he essentially hit the eject button on his entire offensive staff this offseason. Um, I don't know how happy the coaching staff was in that building a year ago. And now like he's put the program in a position to where he's probably going to get a contract extension. Um, and it's, this is a bit of a tangent, but I wrote a, I wrote a story about Luther Burden last week, specifically focusing on NIL because I knew Texas saw a little bit of this going head to head with them for Ryan Wingo. But Missouri, I mean, has a reputation of just being Missouri, right? But they are using NIL as well as any team in the country. I think if you were going to just 
talk about how teams are recruiting pre-NIL and how teams are recruiting post-NIL. Missouri is close to, if not at the top of that list. And they've created a blueprint for maybe those mid-tier Power 5 schools that if you want to find success, you can do so by keeping your best players home through NIL. doesn't always work. There's a reason why Ryan Wingo is going to be wearing burnt orange um, because sometimes Texas can flex its muscles. But um, Missouri's won a fair share of its battles. All right, Chris, your Michigan question of the week. What's the inside scoop of what's going on with the potential side-stealing scandal? And is the NCAA going to do anything about it? Like, what's the word right now? Well, the NCAA is not going to do anything about it because the NCAA is a glacier uh, when it comes to movement. It's going to (laughs) take months, if not years, for that NCAA investigation um, to reach its crescendo, I suppose. What we're waiting for right now is word from the Big Ten. Um, that could get really messy. Uh, we all saw earlier this week that Michigan sent a letter to the Big Ten commissioner um, stating that they need to slow down before issuing any punishment under their sportsmanship rules and let the investigation play out. And I think if the Big Ten does levy a suspension of some sort, which I would say is more likely than not at this point for Jim Harbaugh, then you could see litigation from Michigan against the big 10, which would be, um, I can't think of a time, at least from when I've been covering the sport where a school has sued their own conference. And that could very well happen here soon with Michigan based on the way everything's going. Um, So yeah, it's wait and see mode. I think Jim Harbaugh, if there is punishment from the big 10 will be the fall guy. And it'll be interesting to see because like, let's say he coaches this weekend and the big 10 decides to suspend Jim Harbaugh for two games. Like the Ohio state game is in three weeks. Like this is the wrong time of year to potentially be missing your coach. So all eyes are on the big 10 right now in regards to that investigation. Well, and all eyes are on Michigan this week because they're going into Penn state as a four and a half point favorite over James, not, Ready for prime time. Franklin Hummer is Franklin ready to finally kick the door down in a big game. I mean, he's well, I think he's, this is, I don't have this out in front of me, but I believe he's three and 14 in his Penn state career against top 10 competition. Um, So I would, I would say no. Um, I think Penn state's making progress, but this is very similar to the conversation we had earlier this year about Penn state versus Ohio state. I think Penn State's just going to fall short at particular positions. Um, Penn State's offensive line, particularly, I think is a big concern. Penn State doesn't have the skill weapons on the outside um, either to really separate from elite competition. And that's a bad recipe when you're going up against Michigan's defensive front, which is one of the best in the country, and you're going up against Michigan's secondary, which is one of the best in the country. Um, So I think – I would pick Michigan to cover this week. I think Michigan's got its back up against the wall and is happy to play the villain. And uh, I really do like the Wolverines uh, this weekend. The Ohio State game might be a different conversation, but I think in terms of Penn State, despite the game being in Happy Valley, I really I really do like Michigan. Yeah. Hummer, a lot of Texas fans are going to be locked in on Washington versus Utah to see if the Utes can upset the Huskies. And... Yeah, it seems like the Huskies got their groove back against USC, which I feel like you called that they were going to get their groove back against USC. And Alex Grinch finally got that cut that a lot of people thought he deserved earlier. But who do you think is going to win in this game if Utah against Washington? 
Well, it's it's interesting. I think Utah, I'm sorry, was Washington and Oregon played one of the best games of the football season. I think we can all agree. But and then Oregon, I believe two weeks later, beat the crap out of Utah. I just don't think Washington against elite competition has the ability to do the same thing Oregon did to Utah. Washington's defense is not as bad as it was a season ago, but it is remarkably average. I think they're like 72nd nationally in yards allowed per play. And Washington's run defense is bad. I think it ranks in the 80th, 80s nationally in terms of yards allowed per play. And Utah, as bad as it's been on offense this season, can find a formula for success and it can run the football. And I expect them to be able to run the football at least decently well against Washington this weekend. So I really do like a Utah cover. I'm not expecting an upset, especially with the game being in Seattle. I don't know if Utah can score quite enough, but I think the recipe is there for the Utes to make this a pretty close game. And I, I know some people in Austin are really rooting for me to say an upset's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to go this far. I think Utah is flawed. And if you're looking for a Washington upset down the line, I think the Oregon, the Oregon State game next week is a much bigger game to circle on the schedule. But I, I do expect this to be close. Hummer, USC, I don't even know what to say. They fired their defensive coordinator midseason. That's a one probably fake news report that Lincoln Riley had reached out to Brent Venables to see if he wanted to be the defensive coordinator at USC. But the Trojans are at Oregon. Caleb Williams crying on the sideline, but he's still banking that Wendy's money and Nissan money. Um, <laughs> Hummer, what uh, what do you make of this game kicking off at 9.30 Saturday night? Man, first, that was tough to see. Like, I remember Emmanuel Acho saying Caleb Williams just sit out the season. Like, that kid crying in his mom arm, his mom's arms was not going to sit out the season. Like, football, like, your teammates matter. Like, winning championships still matter. And you can see how much that mattered to Caleb Williams on Saturday night. Um, I, I have a hard time seeing USC beating Oregon, uh, but I think it can happen. And I think it can happen because Caleb Williams is still, if not the best player in the sport, one of the best players in the sport. And having him on your sidelines gives you an opportunity to win every Saturday. Um, but USC's defense is going to have to play a lot better. I don't really see it playing a lot better. Like sometimes a coaching change can change a lot for a program and free things up for that unit. I don't anticipate that happening on Saturday against Oregon, a team that is beating the living crap out of everybody that's played this season except Washington. But if you want, if you told me one of the two upsets was going to happen in the Pac-12 this week, Oregon losing or Washington losing, I think Oregon is much more likely to lose just because of the firepower on the sidelines that Caleb Williams provides you. Hummer, what'd you think of the Aggies? Just so close to beating Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss this past weekend, 38 to 35, heck of a game, but the Aggies take another L and now they're five and four, three and three in conference play. People in college station aren't too happy. Yeah, I think it's like about the time of year where you really start to check those oil prices, see how crude oil is doing. Um, <laughs> it, might, it, might, it might matter. Um, I just, I think this is just one of those examples of something that's really um, troubled Jimbo Fisher throughout his tenure at Texas A&M. It's their inability to finish games and win a, 
big result. I don't have their like schedule in front of me right now, but I believe they lost close to Miami. They lost close to Alabama. They lost close to Tennessee. They lost close to Ole Miss. Like this is a team that is recruiting at an elite level. This is a team that has every resource possible. And this is a coach that was brought in and paid a boatload of money to win these types of games. And they continuously come up short. And AM just always, I know, like, I know the quarterback situation at AM is less than ideal. And Max Johnson's banged up this week, which could be a huge problem for them because their third string quarterback is going to be a huge drop off. But like, Jimbo get, Fisher gets paid to win some of these games. At a certain point, like, accountability has to fall on the $95 million head coach. Um, and I think if, unless Texas AM can figure out a way to beat LSU here in a couple weeks, like, these, smoke there is going to be never mind i'm not the smoke there is going to be considerable um as uh jimbo fisher's future um is considered in college station Mm. i i didn't want to um i don't know if it's too early because i hate the what if game as it pertains to the college football playoff i'm always like let's just wait for the final rankings but how would you characterize Texas's position at this point? I if, they, if they can win out, if they can win out and win the big 12 title. I think it depends on everything that else that happens. Um, I personally love a good what if game. And I think the most fun scenario possible. And I was playing around with this earlier is if Alabama goes to the SEC championship game and beach Georgia, right? So both of those teams finished 12 and one. Let's say Washington runs the table, right? So they finish 13-0. Let's say the Big Ten champion is 13-0. doesn't matter if it's Ohio State or Michigan. Let's say Florida State runs the table and they're 13-0. So you've got three undefeated conference champions left. And then Texas runs the table and wins the Big 12. Then you have a 12-1 Texas head-to-head against a 12-1 Alabama for that last spot. An SEC team has never not made the college football playoff. But if you're the committee, how do you possibly overlook what Texas did in non-conference play and leave them out? So I think that is Texas's huge advantage here. I think the Big 12 is the weakest conference of the five this season, like from top to bottom. I don't think there's much question about that. But since Texas does have that Alabama win, a win that will continue to be considered among the best wins in the country against an Alabama team that will continue to be in the top eight all the way through the SEC championship game, I think Texas is in a stronger position than most people might assume. But Texas certainly has to take care of business the rest of the way. And Texas has to hope that Alabama keeps winning. If those two things happen, I think Texas has a really good shot at making the playoff. And Oklahoma has to keep losing or winning, Hummer. They can't keep losing. Revenable, figure it out. Yeah, like the last thing you want as a Texas fan is Oklahoma to lose out and finish seven and five or something like that. But like, even if Oklahoma finishes at nine and three, I think, Given the rivalry moment that is, given the way Oklahoma played, I think that's something the committee will be willing to overlook. I think what would hurt Texas more is if they keep having games against Houston and games like they did against Kansas State. Like You can't beat a team that way and continue to expect to earn respect from the committee. I think Texas is in a lot of ways living off of their win over Alabama, and they need to make some statements down the stretch if they want to continue to rise in the rankings. Yeah, I agree with that. That's that. Uh, that makes that Quinn Ewers timetable all that more uh, fascinating, Hummer. Um, 
as you kind of size up the remainder of Texas's schedule, Iowa State, the most uh, problematic game left. Um, I still kind of lean to Texas Tech. I realize that Texas Tech team has been uneven this year, and I realize injuries have really hurt Texas Tech. But like that Texas Tech team is a team that was essentially one bad break away from beating Oregon earlier this season when they were healthy. Um, Texas Tech just beat TCU. I think Texas Tech is starting to play better football. And I think of all three teams left on the schedule, like that Texas Tech game is Joey McGuire's freaking Super Bowl. Like he is going to have that team ready to play. I think Joey McGuire wants to be the person uh, that last plays Texas and earns that victory like he did a year ago in his first season. So that's the game. If I was a Texas fan, personally, I would be the most nervous about Texas Tech right now, even though Ames can be a house of horrors, even though TCU's uh, the defending national runners up. I, I just look at Texas Tech, and if I'm looking for a game Texas could possibly lose, I think I would point to that one. Does Georgia have any chance of losing this week to Ole Miss? Yeah, absolutely. Um I think they do. I, Georgia's not blowing people out other than Kentucky and Florida. Like Georgia's been an essentially a one possession game against every SEC opponent it's played this year. Georgia's run defense isn't what it's been um, in years past. And Quinshawn Jutkins is probably the best running back in the SEC. So as long as Jackson Dart takes care of the football, which is not always a guarantee, like I, I do certainly think Georgia could lose. I wouldn't pick it. Um, I think if this game was in Oxford, it'd be a different conversation, but it's in Athens. But um, I think Georgia's more beatable than it's been in three years. And Lane Kiffin, whatever you want to say about him, is one of the best schemers of the football um, in the country. And I think he is going to throw everything he has against Georgia to get that signature win and to lift Ole Miss into the college football playoff conversation. Ole Miss probably isn't going to go to the SEC West championship game. I'm sorry, Ole Miss probably isn't going to go to the SEC championship game just because they have the head-to-head loss against Alabama. But if Ole Miss can run the table, finish 11-1, and one, have a win over Georgia, and only one one-possession loss to Alabama, like if things get crazy, Ole Miss can still make the playoffs. So this game matters a lot. All right, Hummer. So what, uh, what game has your attention the most this week? Uh, I like, I mean, honestly, we talked about it earlier, but it's Michigan, uh, Penn state. I think I believe Michigan's the best team in the country. We've talked about that several times, but given everything that's swirling around Michigan as a program, given that we haven't seen Michigan play a single top 25 team this year, I'm very curious how Michigan's going to respond on the road. Um, I think that will be very telling both for the college football playoff rankings and for the national title mix. Um, and then a little bit of a wild card, but that Miami Florida state game doesn't really have a lot of shine on it this week, but those teams want to beat the crap out of each other. If they can, that game matters a ton for recruiting. Um, and I think Florida state's gettable. Um, so that is a game I would keep an eye on. Yeah, that, uh, that's going to be fascinating. Where are you going to be this weekend? Uh, on the couch this weekend, y'all it's too, too many good games. It's going to try to take it all in. Any surprises tonight from the committee? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a pretty static uh, committee release. If I'm watching anything, it's Florida State versus the Pac-12. Um, so Florida State versus Washington. I think if Washington jumps over Florida State, that's really bad news for the ACC's chances of getting in. Um, 
moving forward because Florida State doesn't have any top 25 competition left on its schedule, potentially outside of the ACC championship game against Louisville or potentially North Carolina. Um, so if Washington's ends up jumping Florida State after Washington beat USC, um, I think that's certainly something to keep an eye on for the rest of the uh, season in terms of the way the committee looks at the top of those leagues. Would you pick Texas to cover this week? 10? I, I think so. I think so. Um, never never sure with Texas, um, but TCU keeps turning the ball over too much. That defense isn't playing the way you'd like it to. And I just, maybe if it was Chandler Morris, it would be a different conversation, but I just haven't seen enough from Josh Huber to make me think it's going to be competitive. Yeah, and Morris is probably a week away. I I don't believe he'll be back, but I need to do some checking on all that. Yeah, and uh, we wait for word on Quinn Ewers. All right, Hummer, you're the best, man. Look forward to it every week. Thanks so much. Absolutely, y'all, anytime. Thanks. Thanks, Hummer. Right. Appreciate the man. There he is, Chris Hummer. A lot of, lot of good stuff to chew on there, Zay. Just yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of chewing, don't get caught without a brain vault mouth guard when you're in competition because that is uh, the mouth guard that is patented and proven to reduce the effects of concussion. So whether you've got uh, kids who are cheerleaders or lacrosse players or, you know, flag football, basketball, you want to protect your kids. And look, if you're the coach or the team manager or the team mom, um, they do group fittings. They'll come to you. It's it's our man, Dr. Greg Eckert, Austin's dentist. Uh, Dr. U-E-C-K-E-R-T. Um, yeah, if you need a dental appointment, go to dreckert.com. But if you need that brain vault mouth guard, um, you go to brainvault.com. Bijan Robinson's rocking it. I got fitted for one. I'm about to to get mine. And you know, if you're you've got a cheerleader, they've got the lower mouth guard to protect you so that uh, they you can still smile and have your pearly whites showing. Uh, but brainvault.com. All right, Zay. Um, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated with the Big Ten. I mean, per se, Hilton's got to be going nutso <laughs> over this drama. Michigan sending a letter. Hey, don't move too fast now to a Big Ten commissioner no one even knows, per, t- per TD. Um, maybe our, our guy who uh, left for the Bears, Kevin Warren, maybe he knew something was up. Uh, and got out ahead of the craziness because now you've got a conference turning on itself. Well, they're all turning on Michigan. And Jim Harbaugh seems like the perfect foil because he can come off as a little pompous, shall we say, a little smugalicious. And everybody wants to see that guy get kicked in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, 
you know, got a lot of national media talking about it. And the fact that this team is so good makes it even more interesting. I mean, if this team wasn't a top 25 team, I don't think we'd be talking about it the way we are. But they might be one of the best teams in the nation. And obviously, they're taking this distraction with them to state college. So I don't know. Will Franklin be able to flip it around on them? I don't, is it a night game? I haven't seen that yet because we know that stadium is different at night. So hopefully, and for it's Texas, big noon. It's uh, 11 a.m. Yeah, see, nah, nah, that ain't good. That ain't good. You need a night game when you go to that type of stadium and that atmosphere. But you need some drunkards. Exactly. I mean, you'll have, you'll exactly. have drunkards. Yeah, you man. You know how have they do at that state. You know how they do at that state, man. Those are the same fans that are also Philadelphia Eagles fans and Sixers fans and Phillies fans, etc. So yeah, I'm. I don't know. It's a scummy situation and yeah hardball he does have that scummy just vibe about him and we'll see we'll see if something actually happens before you know the cfp actually happens because if it does and they don't allow michigan state to play for a national championship i'd be good with it shoons easily i'd be real good with it hey that would be so unprecedented I know. I mean, think about think about when Cam Newton's dad was like, "Yeah, we got one hundred eighty thousand from Mississippi State, and like Auburn's about to play in the national championship, and the you know the reason they let Auburn play for the national championship was basically because, oh well, the dad took the money. Cam didn't know anything about that. Yeah, like the NCAA typically tries to stay away from this stuff as much as possible. And I agree with Hummer. I don't think the NCAA will do anything until they've had time to maybe find a reason not to act. So if the big 10 acts like in season, it's not so. And if you're Michigan's president and you're trying to be like the head of a global research university, you got to like lay out the facts and determine if this was scummy, scummy, scummy enough to, Hey man, you need to hit the bricks after this season. If you find another job, take it. Or do you just, you know, say, well, we'll let the, legal process play out let the nca investigation play out you know pass yeah. the buck yeah Hummer's right i think it take years man i could take a long time man and the fact that ohio state may have been the one to turn them in i mean this is juicy this is as juicy as it gets per se hilton yo man that's petty that's what you gotta do you're the rival petty. you're the rival no love lost don't get caught there. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, the homie across the track selling drugs and you selling drugs. You called the cop cops on them. Hey, so-and-so selling drugs out there. Go get him. He messing up my, oh, he messing up my business. Yeah, go get him. And then they go and book the dude and now you get to thrive. Ohio State sees that. They've been in the way. You've had very good quarterbacks these last few years. Now your quarterback's a little shaky, you know, McCord and stuff. You could do anything possible. If you can't beat them with C.J. Stroud, 
then, hey, something's got to give. And if you have to snitch to get over the hump, so be it. This is when snitching's good. Usually snitches get stitches. No, this is when snitching is okay. <laughs> Let me <laughs> tell you something. Penn State has no chance against Michigan because oh, Drew – No, they don't because Drew Aller is not a big-time guy. He's not. I haven't seen it yet. He isn't the best, is he? He, he looked like a wet Kleenex against Ohio State. Now, that was on the road, but something tells me even having the home crowd with him, he'll find a way to tighten up. So, and J.J. McCarthy and that, that team, they look like juggernauts. That's what I'm saying. Like, this could piss them off. Like, you know, some teams could use this as a distraction and it could go left real fast. Yeah, this is a rallying cry. This is a rallying type of thing for these guys. Like, they circling you know, the wagons. Yeah, like, oh, y'all think we cheating out here? Okay, cool. We're going to show y'all cheating. We're going to show y'all cheating and then try to run it up. You know what I'm saying? And and one thing that Hummer said that I've that's been scaring the shit about me that has to do with Sark's play calling – about the struggle wins that the Horns have against Kansas State and U of H and stuff like that and trying to be cute for the committee and get the style points and stuff like that. Like, that's what's scary. Sark knows that some of these games on the schedule have been struggles to where when the committee looks at it, they're going to be like, mm, this ain't too sexy, Sark. This ain't opening up that Playboy spread and seeing Pam Anderson 95. This ain't too sexy, man. This is opening up the spread and like, is that Leslie Jones? Like, this is one of those, you know, like it ain't too sexy. So it's you have Leslie teams, Jones. You know what I'm saying? You have other teams out here, Oregon, they make it look sexy, baby. Alabama, they starting to make things look sexy. Hell, he even threw Ole Miss in this thing. Saying if Ole Miss beats Georgia, life's gonna get uh, a little more Margot Robbie, a little more sexy in this thing. And that's the last thing Texas needs right now. Like, you got to start making these wins look sexier, baby. And Sark, you know, Sark does a good job talking about we got our backup quarterback in. Like, don't we, we're winning games with our backup, with our backup. Y'all know that? And we won at Brian Denny Stadium, and no one does that. So, yes, you have to ride that Alabama win as long as you can. Oklahoma ain't giving you no help because – they beat you, and now this team, they completely lost their mojo. But, yeah, man, like he's, he's, some of these wins, these next three wins, I need a couple of them to be blowouts. And that's what kind of worries me. We just haven't seen this Texas team stretch it out like we need to. BYU, yes, but everybody's starting to stretch it out on BYU. So that's starting to look a little fizzled down, too. We need to start seeing these wins look very comfortable and – we have to see it naturally, organically, not Sark just, you know, going crazy with fake punts or fake field goals and stuff like that, going for it for fourth down and stuff when you should take the points. No, make it natural. Make it, you know, to where you're feeling the game and you're feeling it out and you feel like, okay, this could work. Don't just do it to do it because, you know, the committee might be thinking crazy. Let's do it strategically. And if they could do that, then that's good. But yeah, that's what worries me a little bit. Just the schedule and some of these muck-up games, little methodical games, it getting in the way of Sark's decision-making, you know? Yeah. it. Uh, man, it's going to be fascinating. 
because the red zone has just turned into this kryptonite, this this landmine, you know, where it's like everything's rolling until they get inside the opponent's 20. And we saw it again with the Savion red zone fumble. And it's like, I mean, I last week I was yelling for the brotherly shove with Malik Murphy and, you know, put Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy behind him, push him in, go get that yard, whatever. And it's like, that's a confidence play. That's a play where you impose your will on the other team and everybody walks off the field like gangsters. And Sark's trying to outsmart everybody in the red zone and he's throwing it. I don't know who he's throwing it to, but he needs to be throwing it to A.D. Mitchell in the red zone or J.T. Sanders. If Sanders is healthy enough, I'd be throwing it to A.D. Mitchell. But here we are going into week, what? 11? 10? We got 10, 11, 12 left. And we're still talking about it. So um, it's it's bonkers. It is bonkers that Texas has gone from a slow starting team that was crushing it in the fourth quarter to going back to being a fast starting team against Houston and K-State that has had to hold on for dear life at the end of games. I thought that had become a thing of the past, and it sure doesn't need to show up on Saturday night in Fort Worth because this is everybody's Super Bowl, man. This is Sonny Dykes, all these Texas kids who, I mean, there are so many players. I know they're, they lost a bunch of stars, Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston, Kendry Miller, Hodges Tomlinson, but there's still a bunch of dudes that went to Austin last year in completely shut down the Longhorns offense and Sonny Dykes will find some rallying cry this week to get them all kinds of fired up. Now it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Texas is the better team. They're executing better on the offensive and defensive lines. Kudos to Kyle flood and Sarkeesian for getting that offensive line, no matter who's in there, no matter how banged up they are to be able to run the ball. Like they did last week, 230 yards rushing against K-State, against a highly motivated K-State team. It should not matter this week that Texas, you know, TCU has some hex rally or does some crazy voodoo or whatever, brings in hypnotists, whatever, you know, it should none of that should matter. It should just be about going out there and playing Texas football. And getting the dub. Yeah. And ideally give Quinn Ewers another week to get uh to get healthy before you go off to Ames. Cause that Iowa State defense is for real. Yeah. That that thing is for real. All right, let's uh let's bring in our man, Hank South. What's up? 247.com recruiting guru. Hank, how you doing? 
I'm good. I got a new backdrop for y'all. To this oh, week. Look at that. Yeah. Nice. I got that as a graduation gift in 2013, and my wife, I have had nowhere to put it. And you say, and now I have, I have uh, a reason to hang it. All right. So, for those who are listening on the app, tell them what is hanging behind you. It is uh, Texas. It's DKR. I believe it's from an Oklahoma State game around 2007, 2010. It's before the stadium remodel. So it's kind of a little throwback photo, but nice. I think it looks yeah, cool. it's nice. It's an authentic it nice. print. It says it on the back. So I think you got, I think someone got it at the co-op for me. So well, thank you. give us your impressions of this uh, Texas, Kansas state game. Oh man. The cardiac horns. I mean, <laughs> my goodness. Um, uh, I don't even know where to start. You know, you just, you just start so hot. Um, you know, Malik Murphy, you know, I was like, you know, is Quinn going to have a job to come back to, you know, you, you look at him in the first half, throwing those bombs to Adonai Mitchell looked like they couldn't be stopped. And then, you know, ensure in, in, in Texas fashion, you know, they let Kansas state creep back in, you know, they had some turnovers, they had the blocked punt, um, some flags that should have been thrown that weren't, that maybe could have changed that, um, especially on Xavier worthy right before half. Um, but I mean, again, you know, great teams find ways to, to win, you know, Texas for a long time was losing these kind of games. You know, Texas was so close at, you know, a, a better record, um, after these last second losses or, you know, back in, you know, in the last 10 years, you know, there's always these, these close losses and, you know, they just couldn't get over that hump. And, and now, you know, they are, they're eight and they're eight and one. Um, you know, I, I think they're, uh, they're going to be fine. I think, I think it's safe to say that like, you know, that they're, they're exceeding expectations. I feel like so far um, this season and, and uh, we'll see if they can get it rolling and, and they're doing it with a backup quarterback. Um, you know, again, Malik Murphy, it's a second start. Um, you know, they have injuries on the defense that, you know, they weren't playing hundred percent. They lost offensive linemen in the middle of the game and, and they still found a way to win. And so, you know, great teams can, you know, battle against adversity and, and get the W and, and Texas did. So, you know, I, it, it was a very intense game. Uh, I still kind of, my heart starts racing watching the highlights. I can't even like watch it. It just like makes me so nervous. Um, but no, it, it was a, it was a fun one to watch. Yeah, Hank, if you look at these last two games, or excuse me, last, you know, two close games with Houston and then with Kansas State, if you look at Houston in that bad spot, then that could have turned the game around. And maybe if Colin or Chris Kleiman and Colin Klein didn't go for it on fourth down and kick the field goal to make it a second overtime, it would have been different there too. So yeah. the Warriors, they've had some luck these last three weeks and getting dubs. And you're right, eight and one, that's all you could really ask for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, what was it last season? They didn't get their eighth win until what? Until they beat Baylor um, late in the season. I mean, so you know they're they're uh, they're doing what they need to do. Obviously, you know it, it's everyone's talking about you know Texas in the playoff. You know if they, when they win the Big Twelve, they're going to beat Oklahoma State. Now it's like okay, let's pause for a second. They have to go to TCU at night. They have to go to Iowa State at night. Obviously, you got Tech at home. Um, but still, that's going to be a challenging rivalry game. You know, final uh, matchup with them in the Big Twelve. So. Certainly need to, to keep the focus on uh, the regular season right now, but um, you got to like where they're sitting. All right. So, Hank, I don't know how closely you follow TCU, but this has been a nightmare team for Texas. Three and eight in their last 11 meetings. Um, you got Sonny Dykes, three and O as a head coach against Texas. Um, 
your thoughts on the horn frogs yeah um like you just said you know it's it, it could be just you know one of those on paper texas should beat them they should handle them but you have that mental aspect where you know texas has only beat them three times since they've been in the big 12 um, obviously last year they held them without a touchdown um and and so you know you're going to fort worth at night you know this is going to be their super bowl you know their season's already lost so you know it's like let's beat texas let's beat them one last time in the big 12 so you know they're going to be ready for it i was looking uh josh hoover the the quarterback that's starting in place of chandler morris you know i can already see it now that you know the storyline where you know he makes a deep touchdown pass or makes a big play and it's they're going to talk about, oh, how Texas didn't recruit him. You know, he's from Rockwall. Why didn't Texas recruit him? There's always <laughs> that storyline of these in-state kids that don't get recruited by Texas. Uh, so I can already kind of like see that happening. Hopefully it doesn't happen a lot. Um, but, you know, they're, they're you know, they, they can present problems. They're a, a team that's really heavily dipped into the transfer portal. So they have guys that are experienced. You know, it hasn't all really come together, you hope as a Texas fan, that it doesn't all come together on Saturday night for them, but they have talent, you know, that they added JP Richardson, who I know, you know, we were talking to some folks at TCU over the summer at that coaching convention in Houston. And those guys are, were ecstatic about the addition of JP Richardson and what he can do um, at the wide receiver position. Um, and, and then, you know, they, they add Trey Sanders from Alabama, a guy that had several years of experience in Tuscaloosa, um, Jojo Earl, another guy from Alabama, Jared Wiley, the tight end. So they've got, They've got athletes. They've got guys that are, that can present matchup problems, and it's going to be, you know, a situation where Texas is going to have to, you know, really, really hone in and fix these uh, defensive miscues, particularly in the secondary. You know, I don't think there's there's much issues in rushing rushing defense um, right now. I think they can handle their own there. Uh, but certainly, you know, getting a guy like Jalen Catalan back this week potentially, you know, with him practicing. Um, that could be really, really important for Texas, um, you know, defending these guys. But no, I, I think, you know, on paper, Texas, should be, and, you, you know, if you get Quinn Ewers back this week, you got to think, you know, that this could be a game that could really, you know, get him comfortable getting back after missing two weeks. Um, obviously, you know, their defense is letting up a lot of points. Um, they, they could really take advantage there having him back and, you know, getting him ready for this home stretch of the regular season. Yeah, hang good point. They're going to rush Quinn Ewers back should they do that. And if they're so confident in Malik Murphy, or if they're not, does that mean Arch Manning might get some run? It'll be interesting to see that too in Fort Worth this Saturday. But let me ask you about the recruiting outlook for the Texas Longhorns. What's going on? I saw the, your um, article about Emory Winston. Hell of a job by you, as always. Talk about him a little bit, the tight end out of Georgia, 2025 class. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have a kid banging on the bedroom door right now. But, uh, no, he's locked out this time. So, <laughs> um, no, uh, Emory Winston is kind of an interesting um, situation, you know, he back, I think it was, it was right before the Red River shootout. He tweeted out on like a Wednesday night that he was replacing North Carolina with, um, with Texas in his top six kind of, you know, Calhoun, Georgia, you know, where's the connection, you know, what it, it's interesting. Um, so we called him, you know, he, he made his way out to Dallas that, that weekend for the game. Then he came out this past weekend for the K state game for his first time in Austin. And, you know, we caught up with him. Um, and he's, he sounds just enamored with Texas. You know, he, he, you know, obviously, you know, they, they've been able to showcase Jatavian Sanders, not probably as much as they wanted to this season, but certainly still a very elite talent at the tight end position. You know, we've seen Gunnar Helm come along um, and, and, you know, he, he really, uh, and, and Winston just loved, you know, the atmosphere in Austin, you know, what the coaches are pitching. He's really, he's a really big fan of Jeff Banks. Um, and so, I, you know, I think Texas leads for him. You know, he's going to put out a top three on November 24th. 
um, and he's going to commit shortly after. Uh, I think Ohio State and Tennessee are probably the other two for him. Um, so, you know, things can change in, you know, two weeks. But, you know, I think Texas is in a good spot for him. I put in a crystal ball prediction for him to end up in Austin. Um, and, and so, you know, he said, you know, there, there's no player. I forgot what the quotes on my article. He's, he said, you know, you got to get to DKR. There's no place like DKR where it's at. You know, so he said he was always he was already trying to get back to Austin soon. So, you know, I think Texas is sitting in a good spot for him to potentially add him as a commit. Hank, what's the – who's the – and I ask you this a lot, but I like to check in and, and we get new listeners every day. So in terms of top priority to finish the 24 class, how would you rank the top three yeah. priorities think, left on the board? Yeah, I think it starts with Kobe Black. Um, I think he's the number one target remaining, the five-star uh, defensive back from Waco. Um, you know, that's, you know, it, it's gone from Brandon Baker. When's he going to commit to when is Ryan Wingo going to commit? And now we're fully on when is Kobe Black going to commit? And, you know, for good reason, he's a, he's a very high level recruit. He hasn't announced a commitment yet. We think Texas is in good, is in good shape. I, I believe Texas is still in good shape, but he hasn't committed. Um, so obviously, you know, that, that leaves the, the door open for questions and, and, and people, you know, having little panic attacks on our message board. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, again, I think Texas is in good spot for him. Um, he's going, he's not just going to announce a commitment. He wants to have a ceremony. Um, he wants to do it at his school and buy people out. So, you know, maybe that goes to early signing day. Maybe that happens sometime this month. Um, I don't think Kobe blocks a guy that's going to, you know, lose his spot to the transfer portal. If, you know, he waits that long and waits for that window to open. Um, you know, I think he's going to, ha- he's going to have a spot in this class regardless. Um, so he doesn't really have to rush anything. So if he wants to wait, he can wait. Um, but I think he's the number one target. Um, number two, I think there, you know, there, there's plenty of room for debate. You know, I think you could say DeAndre Carter, the offensive lineman from Matter Day High School in California. Um, he's committed to Auburn, so you know he's already made a decision. But I think he's really kind of toiling over whether you know he wants to stick with that or, or flip to Texas. I lean towards him eventually picking Texas, but again, I think he's you know I'm not sure he even knows what he wants to fully do yet. I, but I think he is certainly feeling the pull to Texas. Um, and then in terms, you know, beyond that. You know, I, I think you could, you know, you could make an argument in the secondary as well. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, Solomon Williams, the edge rusher, you know, I don't think you can get enough, you know, speed rusher guys um, to put on your roster, especially a talent like him. I think you could make an argument for him being the, the third highest, you know, target. If, if we're trying to do a little variety, is certainly. Um, and, and he's a guy that's going to commit here in the next few weeks as well. Probably going to go, you know, I, I think probably either Alabama or Texas A&M. But he he's officially visited Texas. You know he really likes the program. He's he's looking at being uh, getting into pharmaceuticals, and you know Texas is a really strong school with that. So, you know, will that play a factor? We'll see. But um, another guy as well. But you know, there you know there, there's a bunch. But I I would probably play with that three as kind of the top three remaining. Hank, describe Kobe Black's game for us. We know Sark, when it comes to that cornerback position, he wants that bigger corner. Yeah. Ideally, he would have everybody look like Ryan Watts out there. I know that's not realistic, but he wants that. If you're around six foot or over, he likes that style of corner. And Kobe Black fits that. Can you describe yeah. him a little for the people in Chip and I? Yeah, um, you got you kind of hit uh, the nail on the head. You know, he's a, he's a big long um athlete i think you could end up playing safety honestly um you know at, at the next level we'll see but you know texas likes to recruit these guys that have a lot of positional versatility guys that could 
you know, protect his corner or, or, you know, play safety, give the coaching staff options. Um, but no, really athletic kid, really rangy, has really good ball skills. He also plays receiver. So obviously, you know, uh, just a really elite level athlete. I mean, he has legit size too. It's not like, you know, he, he says he's, you know, six one, like he's, he's, uh, I don't know what we have him listed at, but I've stood next to him and he's a solid, like three inches taller than me. And I, I like to say I'm five eleven. So, um, you know, he's, uh, he, he's a big kid, athletic, you know, good ball skills, good feet, um, you know, good reaction time. He's really physical too. You know, he, 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 he's not a play, he's not afraid to, uh, you know, lay the wood as well. So, you know, a lot to like at him, you know, all over the secondary, but certainly, you know, kind of that big, bigger style Ryan Watts type cornerback. Um, you know, he, he definitely fits that bill. Chip, you're muted. How am I doing? How am I doing? Um, <laughs> Hank, what, uh, any other nuggets at the top of your recruiting notebook? Um, I don't think or should so. I, should um, I ask you about uh, how you see the Texas TCU game playing out? Yeah, um, I think in terms of recruiting, just to wrap it up, I you know tomorrow's the first day of um, the early signing period for basketball. Or not there, like I guess they call it the regular signing period. Um, so you know, we'll see Nick Cody, who committed since the last time we talked. We'll see him. Um, I guess he'll sign tomorrow. He plans to sign early, so he'll sign in this week window. I would imagine it's going to be tomorrow. Um, and then we'll be all eyes on uh, Trey Johnson, the five star guard, um, to see if he announces a decision. And from people I'm talking to, and you know, the buzz around our industry, you know, it seems like Texas is doing pretty good there with Trey Johnson. So you know, they're battling Baylor. Obviously, you can't discount Baylor. Um, so we'll see what happens with Trey Johnson. I think the biggest question is, you know, will he announce in this early signing period? He hasn't really told anybody. So, uh, but we'll see. That'll be, that'll be what we're tracking the next week. Um, but in terms of, you know, Texas TCU, I, I, you know, if Quinn comes back, I think Texas could blow, blow this one open. You know, I, I think, you know, the matchup, they don't, TCU, just from what they've shown so far this season, they don't match up well, you know, when the, when this Texas offense is on, you know, that's going to be a problem for TCU if Quinn's back. You know, if Malik's back, you know, if they can just be consistent and not have these self-inflicted wounds or silly turnovers or, you know, maybe get a call <laughs> to go their way with this Big 12 refs, you know, I, I think – That ain't uh, happening, Hank. That ain't happening. Right. I think just the biggest thing, if, if, if Malik is, is the guy, you know, just, just be consistent. If you're going to play well the first half, play well the second half. You know, you'll finish the game strong. Uh, and obviously, you know, you can't, you know, Kansas State made really solid adjustments. They completely abandoned the run game. You know, they went all, you know, Chris Kleiman's a really good coach. But, um, you know, I, I think just consistency, don't turn the ball over. But if Quinn's back, I, I like Texas, you know, by, you know, two touchdowns, if not more. If it's Malik, you know, I, I, I think it'll be a closer game. I still think Texas will pull it out. So we'll see. I'm excited to see this one. Yeah. No, it's yeah. going to be uh, it's gonna be a fun rest of November. Yep. Hank, great stuff, man. Keep up the good work. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, right. Hank. There he is. Hank South, bringing it. Corns247.com, Zay. Um, all right. Let's uh, – you want to talk – are you good with Nick Cody? You like him? Yeah, solid pickup. He's a little raw still, but – you know, a little skinny, a little light in the ass for my taste. But when it comes to skills, 
Oh, he's got all of them. I mean, 6'9", around 210. He could shoot the jumper, put it on the deck, a solid rebounder. He could get up a little bit. Might not be as athletic as a Dylan Mitchell, but he's athletic enough to play at the power six level of college basketball. He's going to be a development type player, kind of like Devin Pryor is, and so is Chris Johnson on this Texas team, but all most kids are when they come in as freshmen. But, yeah, that's a good pickup for Coach Terry, especially if you count, you know, South Carolina guard Cam Scott, who committed in uh, August. Yeah, that's a solid two players that you got in the 2024 class. If they could get Trey Johnson along with that, then Coach Terry, he's built himself a really nice recruiting class in 2024, doing a really good job there at the 40 Acres. Did you watch the Texas basketball game last night? Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, before we get to our our chip shot and our um, right call from the best ref in the history of refs, Zay Collier. Um, yes. <laughs> Can I just tell you, I love Caden Shedrick. Like that dude, he plays the whole floor and he was, they only had him in for like two minutes at a time. Yeah. There was one time that he was in as long as three minutes and because he hasn't, you know, been running up and down the floor. He had this shoulder, he had surgery on both shoulders. And I thought the funniest, not funny, but the craziest moment of the game is when, Shedrick kind of got shoved to the floor and all you see is him going head first into the baseline and Rodney Terry lost his mind. Like he was like, he got a technical cause he was like, Hey, where's the foul here? And I asked RT after the game, I was like, how much of that was, you know, an egregious foul and how much of it was just seeing Caden Shedrick, going shoulders first into the ground basically a week after you got him back from, you know, double shoulder surgery. And he was like, yeah, you know, trying to protect my guy. I like having him around. So, but I, you know, he was blocking shots. He was alley-ooping. He had an unbelievable pass to a breaking Dylan Mitchell for a dunk. This guy this guy's going to help a lot. So, because uh, Zedrick Anyama got off to a great start. He was everywhere. He had like six rebounds in the first half. And then uh, RT didn't like the way he started the second half, sat him down. Um, but Shedrick just seemed really like he's a guy who's going to be consistent. I mean, he should be. He played four years at University of Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in his first game back, he was already a big presence. And you could tell, you know, we talked about it with the St. Ed's game and how this team, or actually the orange and white game, about this team, once they get healthy, what they could be. And Caden Shedrick, him being a presence on the defensive end and on the offensive end, they're going to feed him. And when he gets the ball, he has to work out because he's going to have a lot of one-on-one matchups. Not too many teams are 
going to double him because you got to worry about IT Horton's jump shot on the outside. You got to worry about Max Acemas hitting threes and Tyrese Hunter. We've seen that he's capable in a few games last season and also during his young tenure at Iowa State. So you got shooters around that's going to give one on one matchups to the bigs. They just got to take care of the ball and, you know, get to their spots and knock down jump hooks or up and unders, whatever they like to do. I thought Zerick Oyema, he did a good job at that. And Caden Shedrick, he adds another dimension to this team because he allows Dylan Mitchell to kind of roam around and play that, you know, stretch four or kind of a small four. Dylan Mitchell's a tweener. He really doesn't have a position. He really doesn't, and that's kind of good and bad for his sake. For the Horn's sake, they can move him around at multiple spots, but if he wants to get off to the NBA, he's just going to kind of be in a weird position to where he's not good enough to shoot for a small forward or his ball handling's not good enough, and for a power forward, he's not big enough. So for college, it works, and hopefully they can find the right rotation to really make it work because Dylan Mitchell, if his defense is going to look like that every game, game then this team we don't know what they could be like they haven't played their best basketball to quote Steve Sarkeesian they haven't played their best ball yet and that's very exciting even though we've only seen them a couple of times this year so I saw a lot of good things last night Rodney Terry plays a really fun brand of basketball that's so much different than what we saw with Chris Beard like Chris Beard his idol being RIP legend Bobby Knight that dude's all about the motion He's all about, oh, I pass it to one side. I'm going to go down and do a ball screen. And whatever my defender does, that's how I'm going to work off it. If my defender goes too much over the top, then I'm going to cut to the basket. If my defender wants to follow me, I'm going to curl, etc. Roddy Terry is dribble drive. We got four guys out. We got one big in the middle. If the big doesn't get the ball in the post up, the big's going to come and set that ball screen, and we're going to kick it out. If you're not open for a shot, then you take off with the drive too. Like that's kind of where we are in this age of basketball. Like that old motion stuff is pretty dated. You know, you saw that frustration with those Chris Beard teams. They're like, man, this pace, this ain't it. If you're a player like Trey Johnson, number one player, uh, you know, one of the number one players in the nation who we just talked to Hank South, it's between Texas and Baylor, which we know what Scott Drew does, winning the national championship a few years ago. He's great when it comes to training guards and getting them to the next level. If you want to get those types of guys, if you're Rodney Terry, you got to play that brand of basketball. When you're coming down, shooting it, you know, when it's, what, 26 seconds left on the shot clock, that's fun. You're going to get a lot of attempts, especially if you play that defense. And I get it. It's against Incarnate Ward. You know, I think the be- biggest test that we're going to see is when this team goes up and plays shotgun smart squad in Marquette, which that's a team that a lot of people, especially on national media guys, are saying that, that can win a national championship. And I'm right there with them. They got the best backcourt in the nation with Tyler Kolick, the former Big East player of the year, and Cam Jones, who almost averages 20 a game. Like, both of those Southpaws could really go. So that's going to be the Longhorns' real test. But this style of play that they have, Chip, it's fun, man. And I think it works to what they're doing. Like, Tyrese Hunter, he's going 
going to have to knock down outside shots because a lot of tension is going to be on Max Acemas. And for everybody concerned about Max Acemas coming to this level and being productive, well, look at what Kansas State did last season with Marquise Noel. Marquise Noel, he about 5'9", 150 pounds soaking wet. Like, that dude dominated the Big 12. And then he went on to the NCAA tournament and dominated that and got his team to the Elite Eight. So Max Acemas, who I think is just as good as Marquise Noel, it's just all about opportunity, and both of those guys came from mid-majors. Marquise Noel came from Willow Rock before he went to Manhattan. We know that Max Acemas is coming from Oral Roberts to the University of Texas. Like that Marquise dude, Noel was built like a fire hydrant, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, but still, like it wasn't like he was running folks over or anything. He's just a tough New York kid. That's yeah. like he had that. You know, he had that Harlem feel about him every time he played. And Max A. Smith, he has that type of game, too. It's just how is it going to work with the rest of the guys? I love IT uh, Horton's jump shot. That is picture perfect, man. That is a beautiful jumper. Like, that's that's what you teach your kids. You remember when uh, dirty-ass um, Red Arbach used to drop those home videos where he would teach. He would always have an NBA player with him, like Larry Bird or Pete Maravich, teach him, like, fundamentals and stuff, like how to dribble around your legs and stuff like that. Like, IT Horton needs to be at shooting clinics teaching kids. Like Brandy, like Brandon Perryman. We saw Gavin Perryman hit a shot yesterday. Like Brandy Perryman, Brandy Perryman knew, hey, this shooting thing, I might not be able to guard anybody, which Brandy Perryman couldn't guard nobody. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to use what I got. And that dude's been doing shooting clinics and camps for almost 20 something years. So, IT Horton, if you. You don't have a future in coaching or whatever you do with your degrees at UCF. I don't know if he has a chance to get Texas degree, whatever. Hey, go into being a shooting coach because that shot is pretty, man. And anytime he gets the green light, he needs to let that thing fly. So, yeah, man, again, it's just incarnate word. I understand that. Shout out TJ Ford Jr. And, you know, I saw Proud Pops over there on the sideline. That was very heartfelt and stuff like that. But, hey, all you could do is beat who's in front of you. And now Caden Shedrick being in the mix, it lets this Texas team – you know, be a little more versatile than what we've seen in the orange and white game and saying that's last week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, we'll get to the uh, chip shot and the right call, but uh, great blue hair and furniture, great blue hair and furniture.com. I mean um, the furniture is unbelievable and it's high end leather custom furniture. Uh, we're talking sofas, chairs, bar, you know, bar stools, dining, ottomans, um, and they'll help you design, take their incredible um, leather and designs and help you design what you want. And that's, that's what you call customer service. And this is high-end furniture that's built for a lifetime. Greatblueheronfurniture.com. We have our own line, the Texas Sports Unfiltered line, but um, go to greatblueheronfurniture.com and they'll, you know, they right there, when you log on, it says cozy up with our designers to get exactly what you want. And that's so cool. So if you've been thinking about redesigning a room, just get to greatblueheronfurniture.com. The ideas will start flying. And don't forget to use the promo code HOOKEM because that will save you money. Um, and... I hope some of y'all were out at uh, 
Salt Traders Coastal cooking last night. It's happy hour at 3.30, kids. Uh, that means $5 off the beginnings menu. You can eat like a king and a queen on that beginnings menu. New Orleans barbecue shrimp is on that beginnings menu. Um, it's the chowder fries, the grilled oysters, the steamed mussels. You order a few of those plates, there's dinner, and it's all at, you know, fast food prices, kids. And you're eating at a high-end seafood restaurant. What more could you possibly want? And that's the seafood restaurant of our man, Jack Gilmore, who, of course, gave us Jack Allen's kitchen as well. All right, Zay. I cannot stress this enough. My chip shot today. Texas. You need to you need to be a fast starting team this week, but you also need to be a four quarter team. So it's not either or it doesn't have to be either or it needs to be both. You need to get off to that fast start on the road at night. You need to dictate. You need to be throwing the punches. You need to be determining the tempo, the style of the fight. And. It needs to be a fast start. You need to put doubt into Josh Hoover's mind. You need to put doubt into that TCU locker room because they got all this mojo against you. They've won, you know, they're eight and three against you in the last 11 games. Their head coach has never lost to Texas. That should be, and they came into your house last year and made you look like punks. You had Bijan Robinson, and you ran for 22, you ran 22 times for 28 yards. That's embarrassing. That's easily the worst offensive performance of the Steve Sarkeesian era. That's the only game in 34 games under Steve Sarkeesian where Texas didn't score an offensive touchdown. The defense was lights out. The defense has been lights out the defense needs to continue to be lights out having ryan watts back makes a big old difference uh maybe jalen catalan's back we'll find out big practice day today and tomorrow um after those two days of practice we'll know who's who's real and who's still on uh the mend but you gotta and this needs to carry through the rest of november kids because you are within reaching distance of not just playing in that Big 12 title game, of winning the Big 12 title for the first time since 2009. So be a fast starting team, but be a fourth quarter finishing team. Like when you outscored Bama 21 to six in the fourth quarter, when you outscored Kansas 21 nothing in the fourth quarter let's go yeah and you know just going back to what we've seen so far this year and what's hurt texas especially on the defensive end the secondary that's been the weakest part you know just 
especially the coverage. The coverage has been a little soft at times, but a lot of time it seems like the Horns have been afraid of a running quarterback, which has allowed them to give up a lot of yards in the passing game, ironically. I mean, you look at Donovan Smith, they were worried about his legs and what he could do with them. And then Will Howard, they did a good job at stopping Kansas State's run game, which that's obviously the focal point for that team. But once Colin Klein realized, okay, we can't do nothing on the ground, let's start throwing the ball, that's when the game broke open. And you saw Brooks break off Michael Taff and Ryan Watts for that nasty run and multiple miscommunication sequences in the secondary with the cornerbacks and the safeties. So it's Sonny Dykes and, you know, um, browse are they going to look at that and try to exploit it because you can't run in the a and b gap that's just not even going to be a thing you might get a 10-yard game every once in a while but it's not going to be consistent you know manuel miller he's a solid back and all but so was the shard ward and dj giddings you know what i'm saying so texas they figured it out and now that ethan burke and baron sorrell and justice finkley and you know, Trill Carter's getting in the mix some. You know, I don't think the Minnesota transfer has gotten much credit because, again, what Trevondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are doing is so explosive. Some of the other guys that are coming in and getting reps too, they're kind of getting forgot about. No, Trill Carter, he's been playing well. He's been playing solid, you know, coming in at times. He doesn't get all the reps that those other two do, but, you know, Alfred Collins has done his thing at times. So overall, just this defensive line is an absolute problem, and teams are just going to realize, hey, we might have to throw 50 times a game to win it, especially if they're going to be a little gimpy um, in the secondary with guys like Keaton Crawford being out last week and Jan Catalan being out for the past three weeks. So, yeah, can they just tighten that up a little bit? And I understand with Jonathan Brooks' fumble and Malik Murphy's interception, that's given the opposing team good field position. So it's a lot easier. Like, you don't have time to go to the sideline and rest much because Texas keeps giving it up and you got to get back on the field for this defense. So, you know, I, I want to see that from Malik Murphy. Can you, do you have the mental toughness and just, the steadiness to have those long methodical drives where they're taking away the deep ball because they know you like to do it. Like the tape's out. You might only have two games on your resume, Malik Murphy, but the tape's out. We They know, everybody knows you like to go deep when it comes to the intermediate stuff and the short stuff, you struggle with that. So teams are going to force you to throw that and hopefully try to force a turnover out of it. So if Quinn Ewers isn't available, if Steve Sarkeesian and A.J. Milley are those guys – Right, making plays that go with the script or even if the script has to break up, are they doing stuff to where, okay, they're not going to give us that, so we're going to take this. Are they going to have the mental toughness and just the control to do that and not try to gamble all the time? Because, again, I've talked about Sark's play calling here a bunch. Can he do that for the next three games starting against TCU? I think he can, but – you know, Jonathan Brooks, the dude has been banged up a little bit. Again, he fumbled this past weekend. That's kind of uncharacteristic from number 24 so far this season. And now we've seen him go to the sideline a couple of times, just be 
being a little gimpy. And thank goodness for the emergence of C.J. Baxter to go along with it. But, yeah, uh, this team is going to play, you know, they're going to try to take away the deep shot and stuff. Like we've been saying all week with Malik Murphy, to make his life easier is to run the dang football. And hopefully Sark and this team and this offensive line can get back to that where they're controlling the game. Yeah. All right, Zay. It's time for the right call with Zay Collier. Yeah, man. Before we get to the right call, shout out to Covert BK, the Covert Auto Group family that's been doing it in the greater Austin area for over a hundred years. So that beat up Pinto that you got from 1976, get rid of it and go down and see Dan and the gang at Covert BK so they can hook you up and leave you satisfied because they provide been providing customers with high quality selection of new and pre-owned vehicles for a very long time. And the customer service and the customer satisfaction is always grade A at Covert BK because they got seven terrific brands for you to choose from. And you will get hooked up with a Buick, GMC, Cadillac, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, or Ram vehicle of your choice. So if you want to check out what they got online, go to covertbcave.com and you'll see all the latest specials and inventory. Shout out to all the coverts around town. Nobody beats a covert deal. Not now, not ever. All right, Chip. We're already in the first week of the college basketball season, and there's already been a huge upset. Not on the men's side, on the women's side. Our girl, Kim Mulkey, coming off a national championship, number one in the nation. They just got the number one transfer in the nation. And Haley Van Lith, who everybody and their mama knows because of her superstardom and success from social media, and they lose the first game of the season by a smooth 14 points to the Colorado Buffaloes coming off of that energy from Deion Sanders and what he is doing. Not a good look, Chip. Not a good look. Yo, I, I felt like this was coming. I didn't think it would be coming this soon, but that those LSU girls, that's a cocky group, man. That's a cocky group. Angel Reese, we saw her and the pointing to the ring and stuff against Caitlin Clark in that Iowa game last year. We know she's cocky and all the NIL deals have been just blowing all them up, especially Angel Reese. She got this one brother that she's been dating down at FSU. People have been saying that they've been together all year long, so she hasn't been working on her game. Everybody's telling her how good she is and this and that and yeah, man, upset. 92 to 78. They had a homegirl on Colorado. Frida Foreman dropped 27 on their ass. Couldn't stop hitting threes. Shaquille O'Neal was there checking out his alma mater, and Shaq was so impressed, he went into Colorado's locker room after the game and gave them girls love and their respect. So did Candace Parker, former Pat Summit. Um, you know, player Candace Parker for Tennessee, who I love. She does a great job at Turner Sports with TNT doing games, and her analysis is always good. But yeah, Chip, you know, we got you can get humbled real quick. You get humbled real quick, and once you win, you get comfortable. The money starts coming in. Everybody's patting you on the back, and it's just natural to take it easy. As a human, 
You know, it's just natural to take it easy. You're going to parties, you're hanging out with Drake, you're seeing this and that, you're taking pictures with Kevin Hart, you're meeting the president and stuff, and you get a little over your head. It could get a little over your head. You and I have never experienced anything. Well, you have because you probably you win these uh, tennis matches all the time. So you get that success and stuff. But me personally, I don't feel that. I've never felt that before. So I know if I had any type of success like that, my head would get bigger than Peyton Manning's dadgummit. So, hey. Everybody needs to be humbled. I'm not saying LSU still can't win a national championship, but I would not want to be in practice in Baton Rouge with Kim Mulkey today. I want it. That's that's going to be a tough practice for those LSU girls. And yeah, they got humbled last night. Shout out to the women Buffalo from Colorado. They, they are struggling without their point guard, Alex, Alexis Morris. They got to figure out who's going to run the show because she was a fifth year senior who was the boss. Yeah. She averaged 33 minutes a game and they got all this talent and they, they got no one directing them out there. So it was supposed to be uh, Haley Van Liff, but she's a scoring point. So, yeah. you know, that's different, man. That's different. That's why James Harden had his debut with the Clippers last night. They end up losing by double digits. Tyron Lou wants to start. He wants to be the good coach, the nice coach. I told you last week, you can't start off four. You can't do that and expect to win. It just doesn't work like that. It sounds good. Oh, four Hall of Famers on one team? Well, Paul George, he might be a Hall of Famer, but three for sure and a perennial all-star and Paul George, it has to work. At this point of their career, no. Like... It almost worked with Kobe, Shaq, Gary Payton, and Carl Malone, but they got got by the Detroit Pistons. You remember that being a fellow Michigan guy like you. It doesn't always work. It barely ever works, especially when all those guys are in their 30s. So Paul George and Kawhi, they should always start. You're going to have to choose Tyron Lue, James Harden, or Russell Westbrook. Both of them are going to be mad. It's going to get toxic. You know, that's what, but that's what you chose. That's what the owner, GM, that's what they chose when they made the trade. You know, it's one of those guys won't like coming off the bench. I think you would say it would probably have to be Russell Westbrook. You have to flip it in a way that Russell Westbrook's like, hey, man, you're in charge of the second team. You get to do everything. Everything that you love to do, get rebounds, push the ball, drive in and dunk, kick out for shots, you know, everything that you want to do, it's just going to have to be with the second team. And if you're rolling in the rhythm, then you're going to get to finish games too. But yeah, they got drove by the New York Knicks and you saw at times James Harden just dribbling. Kawhi's right there. Paul George is right here. Russell's down there. James Harden. I'm over here like, bruh, do something with it. Do something with it. It's going to be a lot of that, Clippers fans, man. It's going to be frustrating, but we'll see. God, and he led the league in assists last year. Like, don't be the ball stopper on that team. And that's the thing. That, that's the thing. Like, it's not like Stockton leading the league in assists. 
it's it's like you're the ball's always in your hands leading somebody in assists. Like Stockton, the ball was in his hands a lot too. But with Jerry Sloan, they ran that flex stuff. You remember that? They they throw the ball to the wing and Stockton would go down to the post and he set that back screen for Malone and then Malone would cut to the basket and they would feed him and they'll shoot that turnaround from the block. It was money. Jerry Sloan's offense, it was money. So there was, you know, there was flow with Stockton getting those assists. With James Harden, he's just dribbling a lot. And then he'll blow by his guy and he'll make a pass and they'll hit a shot. But with these other guys, they're not used to that. You know, they're not used to that rocket style kind of what. And Doc Rivers, that's why they made Doc Rivers go to being an analyst. They got him fired and he was like, I don't even want to get back in the coaching no more. James Harden took all the joy out for me. Like, I, <laughs> I don't even want to do it no more, man. Hey, how about that? Hey, how about that? Which Doc Rivers, that's another story. Like, I, I was a big Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy guy. I love Doris Burke, but Doc. He has to get his rhythm back. You know, find it. He'll find it. It's been a while since he called games. I want to say the 90s and stuff. But, yeah, man, you got to be careful. You talk about Morris not being on LSU Women Tigers and Van Liff. Everybody thought Van Liff would just come in. Well, she has time. It's just one game. I get that. But you're the number one team in the nation. You can't be losing the first game of the season to Colorado. Come on, man. Come on, Mulkey. Come on, Kim. But Colorado's got unbelievable guards. Yeah, they were like one of the girls played on Denmark's national team. The other girl, um, Sherrod, is the one who was just blowing by people. Yeah. Once she realized no one could stay in front of her, she was like, oh, I got this. Yeah. I'm going to take what I want. <laughs> and the girl from Denmark was hitting seven of 11 threes. I mean, I don't know Ooh. how much. I don't know if that was. Freedom. The moon and stars aligning, but that was big time. Yeah. Yeah, the inside outside going. Inside outside going. Kim couldn't figure it out. Kim and she didn't have a point guard who could settle everybody down. Yep. So you she's got to figure that out. You need that. You yeah, because Haley Van Lith, we saw her at the Moody. Oh, last she's year. nice. Oh, she can she can hoop. But yeah, she's a scoring point guard. She's not a facilitator. Nope. Yeah. But uh, shout out to my guy Way Pistol. I haven't heard that name in like 20 years, man. Oh, yo, elementary school, Kasurik Elementary, South Side. That's what I'm talking about. Right off Slaughter, man. Come on, uh, man. The good old days. The good old days where every recess I had over 220 something yards on the ground, maybe 100 in the air. Yeah, those are some of my finest athletic moments, man. Recess at Surrick Elementary. Cause, that? Yeah, because we would play kickball, and there would be an actual fence. And it was only like 50 yards. But there would be an actual fence that you could kick the ball over. And I swear, I was like the Reggie Jackson of Surrick Elementary. I used to go bomb almost every day. So, yeah, yeah. Those are some of my proudest moments, dominating that um, recess <laughs> recess class like I mean, elementary the things i learn about you the the oh yeah you know. i peaked early chip i peaked early man everybody and thought i was five. gonna be yeah i, I peaked early. 13 and seven star. king of recess yep i peaked early and i'm fine with that man some some people just peak early it is oh yeah is. i still have a great you know life. what 
there's always pickleball and yeah golf, golf. Exactly. your dad uh, plays golf yeah is that it's why you don't play golf that's a big reason why i don't play golf yeah yeah he already taught me basketball and that was a struggle it worked out obviously it worked out for more reasons than one but yeah for him to teach me in golf too nah man i i want a good relationship with my father and we do have a great relationship. And I think a lot of that is due to him not teaching me golf. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, man. That's yeah. classic. I yeah. think a big part of our great relationship is the fact oh, yeah. that he did not teach me golf. Oh, yeah. Me and CeCe tight, man. He's one of my best friends. I didn't get it early. When you're being parented, which he's still parenting me, don't think it ever ends, and I hope it doesn't. But, yeah, when you're a kid and stuff and all you hear is just yelling, it's hard to get past that. But once you realize what he was saying, as you get older, you're like, oh, Cece was speaking that truth. He was talking that real. He was really preaching out there. And now taking all that stuff in, it's definitely – it's definitely worked out. And that's why Father of the Year coming on right here. He knows what I'm talking about. What up, Trey? Yeah, I just caught the tail end of that. Were you talking about uh, CC yelling instructions at you that you didn't quite comprehend as a kid, but eventually yeah. sink in? Yeah, yeah, just little stuff, you know, little things that are like, dude, why are you so mad at the most little things? And it's like, oh, I get it. Just attention to detail. You know, those minor things could be major later on. You know? it, it's tough. When you when you expect greatness of yourself and you're a leader, you expect greatness of those around you too. And unfortunately, for the kids of people like that, you often bear the brunt of it. And one of the biggest challenges for me as a parent, and Chip, tell me if this is a, has, has been an issue with you, your kid, uh, your son is a little bit older now, obviously, but tell me if this is a problem when he was younger. Offering unsolicited advice versus trying to be patient, letting them make mistakes, and making sure they're coming to you when they want your advice because otherwise it really does fall on deaf ears. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you have to ask them questions. You got to, you know, get a conversation going and try to plant the seed of doing the right thing to where it's their idea. Yeah, it's, so it's, you, it's, it's level manipulation. He's right. They, they call it nudging in modern parlance. The uh, Obama administration was really good about that with getting compliance on things. They were actually really good ideas, but keep people are skeptical because we're in such a political uh, politicized world. But nudging is a, a very valuable resource in business and in parenthood. And speaking of which, um, I got to run and pick up my daughter. So let's do it again tomorrow, kids. See you, Chip. Appreciate you, man. Hey. Hey, how you doing, man? Tough fantasy night for you. I know what you told me yesterday about Garrett Wilson and you're nervous about Zach Wilson and that performance that he had yesterday, only six points. Lord have mercy. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, I chose not to watch last night's game. I had a chance to win my league, but I'm like, there's no, there's no way this is happening. This has been far and away my worst season for fantasy football 
in maybe at least a decade. I'm not going to make either of my league's playoffs. And I've had good weeks. My team isn't complete dog shit. But whenever I have good weeks, I'm going up against the one team that has a better point total than me. It's just a, a perfect storm of shit that has me a couple games below 500 right now. That's just the way it goes sometimes. The yeah. good news for my family is I won't be as uh, locked in on the, I'll have to watch this for my job excuse uh, <laughs> down the stretch of the football season if there aren't compelling games. Because right now, I mean, I'm having to watch, and I would anyhow because it's Bijan, but I'm having to watch Falcon games for fantasy purposes. And you and I talked about, or you, uh, you chimed in on this at the end of Trey and BK because we were discussing it. Arthur Smith is a GD idiot. I mean, he is going out of his way to get fired from that job now or to prove some point to somebody because he is so petulant about the fact that maybe Bijan was taken and he wanted another player right there. I don't know what it is. Like BJ, uh, uh, BK rather suggested that last hour. That's the only thing that makes sense for him to continue to deny Bijan Robinson opportunities, especially in the red zone where they've been absolute trash this year. Yeah, he loves throwing Tyler Algier in there. And it's not like Tyler Algier is doing crazy numbers. No. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Are you trying to preserve B. John Robinson for the, you know, course of the year? I don't know because he's so valuable, but they got to use him more. You know, I love Taylor Heineke. I'll die with him. That's my dude. But I know he has very very extreme limitations. I know that. Like, I'm not naive to that. Taylor Heineke, he is very limited. So you got to oh, use yeah. what you got. And Bijan Robinson is what they have. Like, it seems it, this can't be another miss. Like, Drake London, that might be a miss. The Kyle Pence is starting to look like a miss. But those guys don't get enough touches either. It's just like Arthur Smith, he doesn't – understand that man maybe i should get these guys who we picked really high in the draft the ball more it makes no there's sense a, there, there's a little bit of arthur smith living in the past like corderell patterson has been getting touches these last three weeks now like corderell patterson had an unbelievable season a few years ago and he's still serviceable but when you have those other two options those younger legs and they are productive players with Bijan obviously being the more productive of the two, like at that point, you're just ruining or further ruining either guy's ability to actually get into any sort of rhythm. And like he neglects P Kyle Pitts and Drake London to a lesser degree to run the offense through Jonu Smith. Why? Because you have that much love for Jonu. Basically. I just picked up Jonu Smith this week in my fantasy. I you like, should. <laughs> I mean, Arthur Smith is giving him handoffs in the red zone. That's how much they're running the offense through Jonu Smith right now. Meanwhile, Bijan's just standing on the sideline looking around like, what the hell? And then Arthur Smith has the gall to say in a presser, I don't know if this was today or yesterday, that Bijan allows us to do some nice things with the ball away from him because he's like basically implying that Bijan's this awesome decoy. And it's like, yeah, that's the best way to use Bijan Robinson if you're trying to be successful on offense, you dumbass. Yeah, he might be not only your best option from a running back standpoint, he might be your best wide receiver too. Yeah. So yeah. why like why isn't he, 
you know, being used like a Debo Samuel or a Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I know the 49ers are going through their struggles right now. And this week or this past week, by kind of came soon enough for them. But, yeah, you know, it's a copycat league. Like, swallow your pride. Look at what they're doing down there in San Francisco and apply that to what you're doing and what your personnel is because it's pretty similar. Like with Bijan and the versatility that he has, the fact that he's being used the way he is. Yeah, Arthur Smith, if I was old Home Depot dude, the owner, um, I'm sawing his ass. I'm not cutting his ass because he has saws being the Home Depot owner. We're sawing his ass and getting rid of Arthur Smith and having somebody lined up that understands that this offense should be a lot better than what they're showcasing Sunday to Sunday. Is Arthur Blank the Falcons owner? Is he the Home Depot guy? Yes, that's where he made it big, the dude. Home Depot, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, man. He's a legend. That explains why he has enough money to own a a pro sports franchise. But the strange thing about Arthur Smith and his running back usage is he basically made a name for himself and created this opportunity for this head coaching gig based on his willingness to use his running back into the ground and give his – seemingly pedestrian quarterback the opportunity to operate off of play action because everybody was not just expecting run having a hard time stopping that running back with Derrick Henry for those two years in Tennessee but he's just completely abandoned it now because he's Arthur Smith and fuck you (laughs) that's what I'm saying you and I we talk about this a lot when guys come from you know not being the head coach and you're just thrown into all that responsibility, they can get away from what got them the job in the first place. Yeah. And it's weird that that happens. Like I'd never understand it. It's like when they finally get away, it's like, they're like, all right, I can finally do what I want to do. Nobody is controlling me. I'm the man here. And their pride just takes over. Like you're talking about some serious alpha males to where it can be very toxic at that profession. And if you can't control it, it could get just really bad for you depending on the person. But if you have that mindset, which we've seen way too much, like I think Tom Herman had a lot of that. And so did Chris Beard. But if you have that mindset where it's like my way or the highway, I don't give a damn what anybody else says. We're going to do this the way that I want to do it. That could screw you, man. Like, that could screw you. I I just don't understand it. Yeah, you're right. To go from what he did at Tennessee, I know Bijan and Derrick Henry are very different backs and how they get the job done. But you got to apply a little bit of that flavor to what you're doing in Atlanta, don't you? Yeah, and maybe he's trying to do that, and that's one of the reasons for that huge rotation is that he wants to get both running backs a lot of work. I I wholeheartedly disagree with that, though. Boy, what you just said made me hearken back to the failed regimes of both Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, where the biggest reason why they failed, well, there was lots of reasons for both guys, obviously. But like in terms of play on the field, the side that was the least buttoned up was the side that was supposed to be each his expertise. Like Charlie Strong's defense was just hemorrhaging yards and points. And then Tom Herman's offense was all over the place. Like the defense was, was feeling fixed by his last year here when Chris Ash came in and taught them to do a better job of tackling and uh, did feel like guys were starting to develop too. The offense is, is the, uh, the side that had the big question marks. Yeah, some guys. <laughs> what up, Katie? 
What up, guys? How are y'all? Thank y'all very much. Been having uh, computer problems here. So. You just had DKR on behind you. What happened there? It disappeared. That was a post game. Oh, Maybe nice. it looked like Zay and I were there, you know, even though the all that stuff was going on. <laughs> you were like laying in the bottom of a glass bottom blimp looking down yeah. on the stadium? Pretty much. But, oh. um, but yeah, no, I was good to go, man. On time, computer uh, just, I mean, I was watching y'all on I don't know if y'all saw me behind uh, the green door, but um, yeah, we but yeah. saw you for a second. Then you, yeah. yeah, I think we're good to go. Say, I appreciate you hanging out. Hey, no man, problem. 